he gets us. Let's talk about it. <laughs> we can't seem to agree on the Super Bowl commercial advertisement. He gets us, whether it's good or bad. I've heard so far, I've just been watching social media and there's been an outcry. There's been a lot of fighting over this. There's been a lot of people that love it, a lot of people that hate it. If you watched the Super Bowl this past weekend, you probably saw the advertisement for He Gets Us, All of Us. It was a Super Bowl commercial. It was a bunch of images. Looked like probably AI-generated images or uh, maybe illustrated by a real person. I don't know. But a bunch of just images uh, illustrating different people in different scenarios washing the feet of somebody else. So most of the images that pop up, it's an individual washing the feet of somebody else. A lot of times there's some kind of a scene going on which paints the picture for you that these are people that maybe have different belief systems, different ideologies, or whatever the case may be. I think the message is pretty clear that it's stepping outside of the comfort zone of one person to wash the feet of another. And uh, in some of the scenes, it's uh, relatively clear. I think it's at least probably the purpose of it. The, the idea behind it is some of these people might not uh, know about Jesus. They might be stuck in some kind of a sinful lifestyle or whatever the case may be. Now, all of this has stirred up just a whole bunch of controversy. Many people saying that, well, that's not the message of Jesus because Jesus wouldn't have been washing the feet of those kinds of people because the only people whose feet we see Jesus washing in scripture in John chapter 13 are the feet of his disciples. And so to say that Jesus would go outside of the realm of those close friendships and the those who he's been discipling in the truth and to just find a random sinner and wash that person's feet, that that is not the message of Jesus. And so it shouldn't be portrayed as the gospel. So there's people that think that these commercials are just wrong, that the way this advertising is done, it puts Jesus into a bad light or a light that goes against the biblical idea of who he is. And so we'll talk about all this kind of stuff. I'd love to know what you think. Um, I am a, just in case you don't know me, I am a pastor. I'm the executive pastor at Legacy Church International, currently planting a brand new church in the Houston area called Encounter Church. And uh, I've also been hosting this podcast for a long time, do a lot of online teaching and uh, just a uh, student of the Bible, of the scriptures. And so I would uh, love to hear from you if you have any kind of thoughts on this. I do appreciate you guys if it, the content blesses you or makes you think or anything like that. If you consider subscribing, sharing a comment or a review, wherever you are watching or listening to this, that would be amazing. So thank you guys in advance. I said watching. This is actually not a watchable episode. Usually they are. This one is just audio because I didn't have time to get everything together to do video this week. So I apologize for that. Um, and hopefully you're not hearing too much noise in the background. My neighbors across the street, they've been having their roof replaced all day and I couldn't wait any longer. So you hear some banging in the background. Hopefully it's faint and not messing you up too badly. So this commercial, he gets us, this is actually not a new campaign. If this is the first time that you saw it, it actually goes back Last year at the Super Bowl, they showed, I believe last year's Super Bowl was the first time that I personally saw 
the advertisement for He Gets Us. I don't know if that was the first one or not, but it was my first experience with it. And then I saw them kind of sprinkled here and there throughout the year, just on random commercials. I mean, I, I fight against watching commercials at all costs, so I don't see a lot of commercials, but uh, I have seen them a handful of times throughout the year, just the re-airing of that He Gets Us ad, or I think there might have even been some others. I don't know if it was just the one from last year over and over again. I can't remember. But I remember seeing it the first time, and my first initial thought was, oh, wow, that was really interesting. And and my, and I wanted to say that was awesome, but I wasn't 100%, just being honest with you guys, wasn't 100% ready to endorse it from when I first saw it because I wanted to kind of visit the website and I wanted to check things out and I wanted to see, well, what is this all about? Uh, what is the real goal here? What is the theological standpoint of the, of the people that are promoting this thing? What is the agenda? Is there an agenda? So I wanted to kind of check all that out. My initial thoughts were, oh, wow, that was awesome. That was positive. The fact that the name of Jesus was being presented in a really, really positive light on a Super Bowl commercial, like in front of millions and millions of people, that was amazing to me. And it really amazed me because, I mean, you know how much these commercials cost. I think it's like $7 million for 30 seconds. The one this year was a 60-second commercial. So if you can do math, I mean, that's a good amount of money. It's more money than I've ever seen. I know that one of the, that's one of the criticisms, that's one of the, the, maybe the bigger criticisms that I've seen, or more common criticisms that I've seen, is like, well, why are we raising millions of dollars? Why is somebody in the body of Christ raising millions of dollars to put out a 30 or a 60 second commercial when they could be using that money to send overseas for medical missions or to plant churches or to, to feed the sick or to house the homeless or whatever the case may be. And while all of those things are very, very good endeavors, and you know, for me personally, I don't know if I would raise, try to raise millions of dollars to run a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl, but I'm just saying the fact that there are people that have an agenda that are obviously you know, brilliant marketers that are obviously good at raising money because they're this money's coming from somewhere, that are obviously very, very good at what they're doing and that are very, very committed to this agenda that they would take the biggest, I mean, the biggest, the most expensive stage in the world in terms of commercials to say, we're going to put this out during the Super Bowl. Gary V, who's a genius, you know, marketer and social media expert and influencer and all the stuff that he does to promote brands and to help people with their branding. And he's just a brilliant, brilliant guy. He says that when it comes down to the Super Bowl, I mean, that's, that's his thing. He said, if, if I, if I had millions of dollars, the, I would, tell anybody to put it into a Super Bowl ad because that's where you're going to get the most eyes. It's the one time where people are actually watching commercials. Like that's the only time. The Super Bowl is the only time I ever watch a commercial. Like I don't ever pay. I I avoid them at all costs. I mean, my wife gets mad at me for the lengths I go to to avoid commercials. I mean, if I'm watching, I mean, dude, I just started getting ads on Netflix, which is crazy. But like if if I'm if there's something on Hulu or something like that and sometimes they'll show you it's like ad one of five and they're going to show me ads for like 3 minutes straight, like I'm probably going to find something else to do during that 3 minutes. 
I'm either going to, you know, send a text message that I forgot to send, or I'm going to check my email, or I'm going to like, I'm not going to sit there and watch those commercials because I just can't stand it. So I'm always avoiding commercials, except during the Super Bowl. During the Super Bowl, it's like, bring on the commercials. Like you're excited to, I mean, it, it used to be more than it is now. The commercials are not as good as they used to be, in my opinion. There were some good ones here and there this year, but I mean, the Super Bowl commercials used to be awesome. And I think a lot of people, especially in my age group and older, are still into watching the Super Bowl commercials. So anyway, it's brilliant. The, the, the fact that they're able to raise the amount of money, I don't know how they're raising the money, who they're raising the money from, but the fact that they're able to funnel all this money into an ad spot that is designed to spark up curiosity about Jesus, presenting Jesus to people in a different light than many of them have ever seen Jesus presented before. Because let's be honest, a lot of people have this idea in their minds that God is angry with them, that God is mad, if he even exists, right? But if he exists, he's mad, he's distant. There's this Gnostic paradigm that gets presented on on shows and on podcasts and by the experts and by, you know, the physicists and by the scientific community, by and large, that if God exists, he's angry. If God exists, he's distant. If God exists, he's not uh, involved in our lives on a personal level. And the reason they can say that is because there's war and there's famine and there's people, you know, murdering and raping and, you know, whatever, all the stuff that's going on in our world today. And so people think that if there's evil going on in our world, it means either A, God is not in existence or B, God is not part of uh, of, of of our lives in the sense that he loves us and he's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? altruistic is that the word i'm looking for i think that he's benevolent and that he wants good things for us so that he cares about us they think that those two things cannot be married together because of all the suffering that's going on in the world that's not the subject of this podcast i actually did a podcast on that not too long ago when i listened to neil degrasse tyson renowned astrophysicist who i think is a phenomenal brilliant amazing person uh but that's his standpoint on that pretty pretty much i mean i hope i'm not misrepresenting him but i've i i shared a clip uh in an episode i did not too long ago where i broke down something that he said and it was basically along those lines it's the idea god cannot be both all powerful and all good because if he was all powerful and all good then we wouldn't see war, we wouldn't see suffering, we wouldn't see all of this. Of course, that belief system factors out sin, and it factors out human behavior, and it factors out free will. It factors all that out. It doesn't take into account the fact that, well, yeah, there's all kinds of suffering and all kinds of things that are happening on this planet that are outside of the will of God because God didn't create a race of robots that would have to blindly comply in obedience. We make choices. We make decisions. We make decisions that hurt ourselves, that hurt other people. The fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world, there's all kinds of just brutal things that happen here on planet Earth. Just because it's happening does not mean that God has sanctioned it. It does not mean that God is part of it. It does not mean that God wants it. It doesn't mean any of that. 
And so there's a lot of people out there, though, with this belief system, with this idea, even if it's just kind of a default in the ether mindset or whatever, because they either don't care enough to look into it because they haven't looked into it enough because of whatever, but that it's just either God is not real or God doesn't care about me or whatever. And I mean, particularly, you know, it used to be when I was growing up, the general consensus was that for those of my of you who are in the United States, I remember being a kid and like the general consensus was we lived in a Christian nation. And I don't know how true that was back then, but I for sure know that a lot more people, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even a lot more people went to church, you know, at least once in a while, a lot lot more people kind of had the, just that as kind of part of their custom and part of their, their family culture and whatever, then they, then today, I don't know whether I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't even consider us a Christian nation, but for sure today, the general consensus is we're not a Christian nation. We're a secular nation. Of course, we have many, many Christians in this country. Um, there, there are many uh, denominations of the faith where there is growth taking place, but there's also a lot of areas of Christianity where there's a lot of decline, especially since COVID, a lot of churches closed, a lot of people stopped going to church because they had to for a season. And with the shutdown and things opening back up, people were out of the routine and never returned. A lot of churches, thousands of churches closed their doors permanently. And a lot of Christians kind of closed <laughs> their door on on God, so to speak, um, through that that whole season. And so, there's a lot more to it than that. Can't blame it all on COVID, but but COVID, you know, being locked down and shut down, it did kind of expose a lot of things in people's minds and hearts. And anyway, a lot of people have walked away from their faith. And <sighs> where was I going with that? The consensus of of us being a, a Christian nation, a secular nation, whatever. Of course, there's many, many nations, but I don't think most people consider this to be a Christian nation today. Um, and so, a lot of people don't really have, you know, a lot of people have no experience with church. A lot of people have no experience with the gospel. And a, a lot of people have negative experiences. I mean, how many people do you know? Just you personally, how many people do you know that have quote unquote deconstructed over the past, you know, 10, 15 years that have deconstructed their faith that, you know, realized that there was all kinds of church hurt going on in their life, that there were, um, they had been wronged by people in the church, that they have, whether it was uh, 100% real or if it was their perception of, you know, the leadership that was in their life, their pastor, their leader, whoever was in their life, that they were let down, that they were abandoned, that they weren't treated right, that they were maybe uh, spiritually abused. And of course, we have the ultra, you know, the the extreme cases. And when I say extreme, I don't mean extreme because it doesn't happen very often because happens way more often than any of us are comfortable with. But, but the extremes of, you know, sexual abuse and, 
manipulation and things like that that have gone on in churches. Anyway, a lot of people have deconstructed, whether because they went through something or because they saw that other people on massive scales were going through stuff. There's been too many stories of church cover-ups and just all kinds of corruption and narcissism and just different things that have gone on in the church. And there's like this kind of like a cloud in a lot of people's minds over the church. And a lot of people either want nothing to do with God or they don't even just, they don't have a context for like where to put God in their lives. And so I think finally full circle, when I get back to this commercial, he gets us, if all it does, and I think this is the point behind it, is kind of stirring up that curiosity within the hearts of people to say, well, hey, maybe there's more to this guy, Jesus. Maybe there's more to the story here than what I've been told or what I've been taught. Maybe it deserves some of my attention. And so if all it does is get somebody kind of inspired to go check out the website where they can find out more then I think that that is a huge win. And I get it. Like people are, are crying out because in the 30, 60, 60 second commercial, there's no information about repenting of your sins. And there's no information about Jesus is the only way to salvation. And there's no, but it's a 60 second commercial. It's designed to stir something up emotionally within somebody that is speaking to a very specific and very important and very relevant cultural issue that we're dealing with right now, which is hatred. The the line toward the end of the commercial that says Jesus didn't teach hate. That is a W that is huge because a lot of people just don't know that. A lot of people don't get that. For a lot of people, that's the opposite of what they've been told, or it's the opposite of the perception that they have in their mind. They think that Jesus taught like this very exclusive thing, this very uh, like separating theology, like the separating us from them, separating the secular from the sacred. And that's not what Jesus demonstrated to us. Jesus demonstrated to us going into the trenches with people, meeting people where they were, whether we want to look at the woman with the issue of blood, the woman caught in the act of adultery, Zacchaeus up in the freaking tree, like whatever we want to look at, Jesus would go to people in their distress, in their moment of weakness, in their moment of pain, in their inferiority complex, in their insecurity, in their identity crisis, in their struggle, before they were all cleaned up and a pretty beautiful Christian. I hope you sense my sarcasm here. Like he would go to them where they were and he would speak life to them. He would dignify them. He would dignify who they were. I mean, one of my favorite parts of the Bible is John chapter 8, when Jesus goes and he stands in between this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, she was caught in sin, and all of these accusers stood around her with stones ready to put her to death, and Jesus steps in the middle of that atmosphere, and he stands between her and her accusers, and he asks a question, or he, he, he gives them a challenge, and he says, if any of you is without sin, go ahead and throw your stone first. 
I mean, Jesus put himself on the line. He put his reputation on the line time and time again in order to defend people who were broken in their sin. Because God is not scandalized by the sins of the world. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to take their sin upon himself. And so many people have this idea that God is up there in heaven, like all salty and mad and angry because of the sin that's happening around the world. It's like, why would God be mad? Why would God be up in heaven mad? Jesus paid the price for all of the sins of all of the world. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not... I, I am not saying that all the world is saved because of what Jesus did, that everybody's saved, that everybody's going to heaven. No. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. The Bible is explicitly clear about that. The only way to the Father is through the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to salvation. I am not preaching or promoting a gospel that says that all are saved because of what Jesus did. What I'm saying is that salvation is available to all because of what Jesus did and because Jesus took upon that took the sins of the world upon himself. I just don't think that God has any reason to be up in heaven mad and angry and frustrated because he knows that what his son did on that cross was so complete and so perfect Now, I do believe that God is heartbroken over sinners who do not come to repentance. And it is not the will of God that people die in their sins. Jesus said, it is not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He gave his life for it. He literally laid his life down for that very thing that people would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they would know eternal life, that they would know the Father, that they'd be one with Jesus. He gave everything for that. And Romans tells us that it is the kindness of God the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Now, I grew up in the 90s, and I grew up in Pentecostal church in the 90s, so I know all about fiery preaching, and I know all about scaring people into running to the altar to confess their sins before an angry God. I know all about that. And I'll be honest with you, even like for me, there was something about that that was effective, but there was also something about that that made me feel very bound and very guilty and very condemned over my sin. There was something about it that there was something about it that kept me from committing more sins than I did. But there was also something about it that made me feel very unfree and very afraid. And for seasons of my life afraid of God afraid of losing my salvation. And I don't think that that was at all for a moment the intention of Jesus in the way that he taught. He taught to bring people into eternal life and into freedom. He taught to bring people into an understanding of their identity and who they are in him.
He taught to bring people a revelation of the love of the Father. Was it harsh sometimes? Like for, <laughs> yeah. But you know where when it was the harshest? When he was speaking to the religious leaders who had the pharisaical mindset and ideology that I'm right because of my good deeds. That's when it was the harshest. And I'm not saying Jesus let people get away with stuff and let people do whatever they want and just gave them permission to stay in their sin. Absolutely not. Because when he's when he stood in between the woman and her accusers in John chapter 8, and they, they walked away under conviction and left their stones and walked away, Jesus turns to the woman and, he's, and he tells her, go and sin no more. But what did he do first? He defended her where she was. He didn't promote or put his stamp of approval on her sinful lifestyle, but he also didn't condemn her. And this is something that the church needs to learn. Guys, I mean, this is, this is something that we need to learn. This is something that we need to be better at. It's honoring and dignifying the person regardless of their ideology, regardless of where they are in their life, regardless of their belief system, and the fact that we can can dignify and we can honor and we can esteem and we can value and we can speak into the life of a person, of a human being, recognizing that they are an image bearer of God. That they are an image bearer of God, meaning they were created in the image of God. They are His creation. They are his workmanship. And we can do that in love without saying that we support with or agree with their lifestyle. Now, I know that the current ideology of the days that we are living in right now make that complicated to the extent that you know, there's a lot of people out there that believe that you do not accept them if you do not accept their lifestyle. And they'll say, well, if you don't accept what I think about myself, if you don't accept my beliefs, then you're rejecting me as a person. And look, that's their opinion. And so they might not get where you're coming from, but it's absolutely not true that you have to affirm somebody's sinful behavior in order to affirm them as a person. It's simply not true. It's simply not true. Like I would never start a conversation with somebody like that and say, oh, well, if you don't believe everything that I believe about Jesus, we can't be friends. If you don't believe everything that I believe, if, if you don't believe what I believe, if you don't believe like I believe, if you can't accept everything that I believe, then we can't have a, 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 a real relationship. If you don't believe everything I believe, or if you don't accept everything I believe, if you don't affirm everything that I believe, then you're not really accepting me as a person. I would never say that to somebody. I get it that there are people that don't believe like I believe. Jesus wasn't afraid of that. And it, and, and he was so effective he was so effective with people who were lost in sin and, and sinful lifestyles. He was so effective with people who were broken and hurting. The people who gave him the most pushback were, again, the religious leaders. 
and even and even them like we see we see the example of Nicodemus who clearly wanted to know more he he wanted what Jesus had he knew that there was something authentic happening with Jesus that he hadn't seen before And Jesus didn't just attract the, you know, sometimes I've heard people say that Jesus only attracted the poor. No, we have several examples in scripture of very wealthy people coming to Jesus. All I'm saying is it wasn't like the uneducated alone that were into what Jesus had to offer them. It was the most educated and the least educated. It was the poor. It was the rich. It was the ultra rich. It was it was anybody who was broken that could see. And I'm not saying every single person that Jesus encountered, except I'm not saying that. I'm saying people from all kinds of walks of life, people from all different walks of life, people with all different ideologies, people with all different levels of belief and faith and, and everything, people from all kinds of scenarios and backgrounds and families and whatever. Jesus attracted all kinds of people. Because he presented something that was real and something that was authentic. The kindness of God leads to repentance. This is not a weak gospel. I know that the criticism for like this kind of teaching is like, this is, this is weak. This is, you know, hippie gospel. This is whatever. It's a watered down. This is not a watered down gospel. I, I, I really don't believe this is a watered down gospel. This is just recognizing that it's, it's not all about like, scaring somebody into making a confession of faith. Again, I'm saying I grew up in that. And for me, there was some level of it that was effective as far as getting my foot in the door. But for for a long time, I didn't understand how loving and good God is. Look, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Man, Bill Johnson says, I think it's Bill Johnson that says it. Everybody wants a king like Jesus. Actually, I don't even know. I don't know who that was. I don't know if I'm attributing it to the right person or not. Anyway, everybody wants a king like Jesus. The Bible calls him the desired of the nations. That hasn't changed. People are different today <laughs> than they were a thousand years ago, a hundred years ago, twenty years ago. People are people are different today. You know, we're we're living in in days where pe- people are a little bit different today. But it doesn't make Jesus. It doesn't make the message of the gospel any less relevant. Everybody wants a king like Jesus because he's good because he's faithful. And what he actually desires is oneness. It's it's unity with us. It's that we would be one with him and the Father. That's what he wants. That's his desire. 
And every single person on this planet yearns for that and longs for that. They don't, they might not know it. They might not know what that language is or what that even means, but I'm saying there is a longing on inside the heart of every single person for him to know him and to be known by him. When you know him and you're known by him, something within you comes alive. Something within you becomes unlocked. There's no other way to get that. There's other things. There's other experiences and there's other substances and there's other relationships and there's other things that can kind of give you a, a, a false sense of hope or a false sense of security. I don't even know if false is the right word. Um, I'm struggling here. I'm not sure if false is the right word because not every. I don't. I don't mean that everything is negative. It's always negative. There's there's really really good and positive experiences that you can have that people have apart from God. But nothing ultimately fulfills the longing of the human heart in the way that God can. Nothing does. Nothing can, because nothing is is constant like He is. Nothing is constant like he is. Nothing is constant like the love and the faithfulness of God. And, man, I don't, I don't expect for, for Christians to, like, agree on, on everything. You know, when something like this commercial that he gets us commercial, when something like this comes out, I mean, obviously, you expect there to be controversy. You expect there to be disagreement. You expect there to be whatever. But I think we can, we should, I think we could agree. I think we should be able to agree at least on the basic level of when something like this goes out and it exalts or promotes the name of Jesus in a way that millions of people are hearing about Jesus and it's not presenting him in a negative light. Now, you might have a problem with the... The, the fact of, of, you know, just showing people washing feet, showing people washing the feet of all these different people. And maybe the commercial gives the impression that Jesus went around like washing everybody's feet all the time. And I don't think we have evidence of that in scripture. The only people that we see whose feet Jesus washed were his disciples. But in the in that in that act of washing their feet he says as i've done for you you do for one another he was calling them inviting them into a lifestyle i don't think this needs to necessarily spark like a thing where we start going around like physically washing everybody's feet but it's the idea of hey you have a need in your life how can i serve you how can i practically serve you here's the thing here's here's the way that i look at this when it comes to foot washing For them, in that day, in that moment, the foot washing had a very, very practical purpose. It was something that was done. Like, it was cultural. It was something that would happen. It was something that a servant would do. If, you know, if you had servants or whatever, you came in off the road, you might not have been wearing shoes or you were at least wearing shoes that were like sandals. You weren't on paved roads like we have today. Like, you were picking up dirt and mud and junk and and stuff. And so washing your feet, having your feet washed was like, it was something practical. It was something real. Like we don't go around, like I don't need anybody to physically wash my feet right now. I don't need that. It would actually be awkward if somebody walked in and said, Hey, can I wash your feet? I would get the spiritual significance of it. So, you know, 
for me, I would get it. I would understand it. A lot of people wouldn't because <laughs> it's not practically relevant. But for them, it was very practically relevant. And it was Jesus demonstrating in a practical way what it means to be a servant leader. I mean, if you want to get into this, we can get into this. That passage of scripture in John chapter 13, it's one of my favorites because at the beginning of the first few verses, it's, it's showing Jesus in the fullness of his identity and in full awareness of the assignment that the father had placed into his hands. And it says that in that moment, he was aware of what the father had sent him to do, of the fact that he had come from God, that he was going to God. He's having this moment of just intense understanding of significance. And what he does in that moment is he grabs a towel and a bucket and he gets down on his knees and begins to wash the feet of his friends, even those who would abandon him, which was almost all of them. The one who would deny him cussing three times that night and the one who Satan had already put it into his heart to betray Jesus. And Jesus got down on the floor, the one that they called master, the one that they called teacher, rabbi, rabboni, the one that they looked to he got down on the floor and washed their feet because for him, that was what it meant to express significance and assignment. It's okay. The father has placed in my hands this incredible significance and this incredible assignment. This is the reason I'm here. This is what I came for. So now let me serve. Let me stand in the understanding and the realization of what God has called me for and let me serve. And so whether this is like translating into physically washing somebody's feet or not, I think what we get out of this, what we get from the life of Jesus, what we get from the gospel is that he's put us on this earth to serve others, to serve people that are image bearers of God, who some of them have come home and some of them haven't. Some of them are stuck in their sins. Some of them have come to repentance. Some of them are broken. Some of them are hurting. Some of them have been hurt by the church. Some of them have been hurt by their family. Some of them have been hurt by their friends. Some of them have been wronged and let down and abandoned and rejected and forsaken. And we can just keep naming all kinds of things but he put us on this planet to serve because that's what he did because that's what he demonstrated to us. So he gets us, all of us. I think that's a true statement. I think that it's impossible to, uh, I, well, I don't know impossible. I don't know how to present the full gospel in 60 seconds. Um, that's not the idea. That wasn't the goal behind the commercial. The goal behind the advertisement is, I think, to spark up some curiosity, to spark something in the heart of somebody that says, well, maybe there's more to this. 
and to get them interested in searching. Maybe it's for the person that's sitting there that's searching, that's already got those questions in their mind. Maybe that's that person that had been lied to about who Jesus is, who had been lied to or just misinformed about who God is, uh, that, that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is kind. Maybe it's for that person that's never really understood at all on any level who God is or who Jesus is. And it just stirs that question up within them that maybe they weren't even thinking about, or maybe they were thinking about it on a subconscious level, but not on any kind of a conscious level. And now they're forced to engage with something that's counter-cultural. And I think that it's overall a huge positive. I think that it's a huge uh, win and um, I, uh, I like it. So... I'm going to go ahead and cut this off here, guys. I appreciate you so, so much for listening. If you got anything out of this, please consider subscribing, sharing a comment or a review uh, is super, super helpful and very, very much appreciated. I'd love to hear just your thoughts on this, whether you agree, disagree, find yourself in the middle. Um, I know I didn't talk about all the things that were on my mind because I just kind of went into a rant and rambled and all that kind of stuff. So, I should have written some notes down because I know I'm going to think back later and be like, oh, I didn't even talk about that or I didn't even talk about that or whatever, but I think it's fine. I think uh, I talked enough. <laughs> we could probably all agree on the fact that I talked enough. So uh, again, appreciate you guys so, so much. Share your thoughts, comments, and uh, yeah, hope to see you back for a future episode. Bless you guys.